I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, hello, welcome to Friends with Friends, uh, another episode. My name is Pete Allison and this is Dave Cribb. Ahoy hoy, good morning, afternoon, evening, good night, depending on when you are listening to this podcast. Um, I, I, you back to your regulation opening now, Pete, is that Yeah, I just realised that, yeah. I, I just, I, was, I haven't done it for a couple of weeks, so it's fine. It, it was nice to mix it up for a bit, like the sort of experimental middle yeah. albums, and then you're just back to the old, the old classics. Yeah, people don't like change. Yeah, exactly, people really don't. Uh, should we meet today's friend? Yes, very good idea. Today's friend is the wonderful author and broadcaster, it's Chris Smith. Hello. Hello, Chris Smith. Hi, hi, hi. This uh, is very exciting. Is it? Yes. Uh, I, there's a sense of trepidation when people say it's very exciting, no, no, it's genuinely very exciting because as as you and I discovered when we had a few drinks together last weekend, we love chatting about friends. Mm. So it's nice to just formalise that process it's, and do it with microphones. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's basically the whole concept behind this podcast. That's all it is, honest. isn't it? Yeah, yeah that's it. It's like our nonsense has a sense of purpose now. It's good to know. <laughs> that, that, that will literally be the title of your autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> My nonsense has a, a sense, sense of purpose. The Dave Cribb story. I'm thrilled with that. Yeah. I'm writing that down immediately. This is why you're an author. Mm. Uh, but you're a big friend. Fun, right? and, and I love friends. Well, unlike you millennials, you know, mm. I was there. I was there in the trenches, man. I watched the first few series when I used to do night shifts, uh, caught up with them again on uh, VHS box sets. But then, you know, that, uh, you know, I, I was there when it, you know, when Rachel got off the plane. Yeah. You know, I was watching it not, not on catch up. It wasn't even a thing. No, I didn't stream it. I had to, I had to be there and, and, and enjoy it along with the rest of the world, as it happened. See, so I watched Rachel get off the plane live. But you were probably about four. No, no, no. I was, that was, what, <laughs> 2004? I was 16. Oh, okay. No, right. 18, maybe. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. I'm not good at maths, it turns out. <laughs> uh, but were you there? Did you watch the first... Did you watch the pilot when it went out? Did you, were you there from the start? Uh, no, I don't think I watched the pilot. I think I remember getting into it during the first season, though, and then, and then going back to the beginning. And it's only then... And it's only when you sort of see friends with an overview mm. that you realise that Rachel running in with her wedding dress in the first episode, there is kind of an overarching plot to the whole thing. Yes. It yeah. was cleverer than we realised at the time. Um, it's nice, Chris, and you, you sort of brought this up because Pete's a few years younger than me. Right. And a number of our guests have so far been nearer to Pete's age than yeah. to my age. And so n- none of them tend to remember watching it at all on, te- you know, not at all on Channel 4, so not I at feel all like on... A, I feel like a grizzled Vietnam veteran. No, it's, you, know, <laughs> like, you, don't, you don't understand, Pete. You weren't there. I'm the E4 generation. The E4 generation of two episodes at five o'clock, that's me. But I mean, Friends Fever was a genuinely a thing. I mean, I literally do remember people having the Rachel, you know, mm. having that haircut and wanting to dress like them. 
apart from Chandler, has <laughs> terrible dress sense and wears like too many sweater vests. Yeah. I'm uh, watching it back, the fashion choices are so bad. Quite so bad. something. I mean, he wears a tie yes. in the episode we're going to discuss today, which is one of the least attractive things I've ever seen. <laughs> I, it's one of the first things I wrote down. I'm just astonished that anyone ever designed it. It's got a strange sort of multicolored pattern on it, hasn't it? It's like yeah, it's yeah, like maybe? really yeah, it's like two tone. It's really bright yellow and bright blue. It's kind of like an unclothed female <laughs> figure. Um, but I mean, surely not even friends with it. I just, I don't know what's going on with no. it. It's horrific. I just only hope he was paid a great deal of money to wear it on the show. Hey, Do you think they did? They had the Thai product pro- placement. Yeah, Thai product placement. <laughs> I really hope so. There is a lot of very obvious product placement in Friends, but I've never really, apart from the obvious Ralph Lauren Bloomingdale's. <laughs> There's a lot of that going yeah, on. Yeah. There's a great deal but of that the going guys, on. There's not too much, is there? No, but I mean, maybe it would uh, it would enable us to forgive quite a lot if if it actually came out now. Matthew Perry came out and said, yeah, I was paid to wear that stuff. <laughs> Ten million dollars I got from sweatervesta.com. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so how did you go about choosing your episode? Well, um, I'm actually re-watching Friends at the moment with my 12 year old son oh, that's and we've nice. taken him yeah so thanks to the wonders of netflix uh so we were actually go, going all the way through from season one uh and and the episode i've chosen is is where we've literally got up to we're kind of mid-season five at the moment oh, and um we just watched it the other day and a couple of things have struck me about friends sort of re-watching it with uh with my son um firstly they talk about sex a lot, yeah. <laughs> like, like more than you more, remember. More than you remember, because you remember it being very, in a way, a bit middle class and mm. a bit innocent, don't you? And think, oh, it's friends. It's very, very inoffensive, and it is very inoffensive. But they talk about shagging like mm. all the time, and quite talk, openly. They talk about porn quite a lot. Yeah, I know. Just... Pick me up some porn. Yeah. Like what? Excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. It's a real insight though into life before the internet. <laughs> yes, you couldn't couldn't make it these days. I mean, if Chandler these days went, pick me up some porn, Jerry just be like, well, if you've You've got a phone, haven't you? Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> Could I be any more looking at porn on my phone? <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be quite as funny. No, so. not as no. And you know, they've they've played with what they had at the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, they just have to look in laybys like we had to in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, so you literally. You're, you're, I'm, I'm not accusing you of being lazy, Chris, but your choice of your episode was... <laughs> in a passive-aggressive way, Dave, uh, you kind of are. <laughs> you, pressed, but, you pressed play on Netflix. No, no, no. The first one that came on. I, I think this is, this is genuinely, it is genuinely a classic episode. It's a really good one. And it's, 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 it's a classic Friends episode because it's got the, the real classic Friends format. It's got the three plots. You've yeah. got your continuing plot. Uh, you've got your main sort of episode plot, which gives it its title, and then you've got the funny kooky plot going on underneath the surface. It's yeah. and and the friends, the six friends, split into three groups of two. It's exactly as as the really great Friends episodes work it, so well. It is, and it's actually the first thing I noticed was because we've obviously overanalyzed a lot of Friends episodes. Absolutely, now, and the hit rate of each of those three plots actually being really strong. It's not bad, is it? In and their it's, own it's, right. It's not, you know, they're not long episodes either. And the, the, the little scenes they have to build, and the three plots are just all really well done yes. and are all funny in their own way. Yeah. And there's some great acting as well. It? It's a great episode. We've also kind of referred to in other episodes as well, how there's sort of two eras of Ross. There's um, failed romantic Ross, and then there's when he becomes completely unhinged. And this is the episode you picked is kind of the one where that, change in ross right this is, this is where the the seesaw of ross's mental health yeah. tips the pivots if you will <laughs> yeah the, oh very good <laughs> ross's mental it health. is indeed the pivot um but it's also the you know i mean it's a it's a long process but i mean i think 
all wise people agree, Ross is the best character in Friends. Thank you very I much. Mean, yes, Ross is is a fantastically acted, and we'll talk about his his acting in this episode later on. Um, but th- this is the point when you really realise he's starting to steal it. He is really starting to steal it this at this stage, and it careers through to the last. Yeah, well, there's five more series after this, isn't Absolutely. there? Absolutely, it's, and just, it's the David Schwimmer show. Then we crucially, isn't it? got got rid of Emily as well, the, the worst character <laughs> ever in Friends. But I can't really discuss her because she's not in this episode. No, well, she, but the, the aftermath of Emily is in this episode. So the, the aftermath's good we're because midway through season five, and this means, is what's prompting Ross's. Nadir, really? Yeah, absolutely. I think we find him at his lowest point. So, uh, tell us what the episode is. Chris. Well, I, I mean, I can uh, I can explain the episode, Dave, by opening my cool bag that I brought with you. And so Chris, uh, Chris, Chris entered the studio and said, "I've brought props." Dave, you just would you just like to uh, talk <laughs> us through what I'm what I'm handing to you there? He's handing me. Oh my, this is this is a Pete. I'm so sorry. And uh, if if you, if you haven't listened to this podcast regularly, um, Pete and I do it in different cities. Yeah, I'm so not Pete in the same room. I'm in London. Yeah. Uh, and quite often the guest is here with me and uh, I say 95% of the time you don't miss anything see judging by your reaction and judging by the fact that Chris just tied it into the episode have you just been presented with a sandwich I've been presented not only with a sandwich wrapped in tin foil but with a note on the top that says knock knock who's there Ross Geller's lunch. Ross Geller's lunch. Who? Ross Geller's lunch. Please don't take me. Okay. That is amazing. And that is attention to detail. That is attention <laughs> to detail. No guest has ever brought presents before. Well, no, I... there you go. There is what. There's one here for you, Pete. I mean, I keep it in the cool bag. <laughs> so I don't think it's going to survive the postal service, to be honest. But uh, yeah. So um, the episode we're talking about is the one with Ross's sandwich. The one with Ross's sandwich. And hopefully. I mean, you you remember this episode, don't you, I think? If you've watched and loved Friends, yeah. you remember it from that one line. Yeah. But actually going back and watching again, it it, it is a great episode. Yeah. All three plots are really strong. It's really strong. Right, the one with Ross's sandwich, season five, episode nine. Here's your synopsis if you haven't watched it recently. Phoebe takes a literature class and regrets bringing Rachel along, so has a little fun of her own. Sometimes these plots don't really give anything away. <laughs> Joey, meanwhile, becomes tired of covering up Monica and Chandler's secret relationship, while Ross is advised to take time off work after losing his temper when a colleague eats his Thanksgiving leftover sandwich. That's right so it's leading up to the christmas episode for that season so you've just you've just had thanksgiving going on but uh yeah it is a uh, it is a great episode because the the monica chandler plot is is bubbling along just at the point where it was funny mm. before it all got kind of you know very serious and chandler did that awful thing where he tries to be sincere yeah mm. okay, goes, yeah i love you i love you monica which just makes you want to oh, just makes your anal sphincter want to crawl up into your body and strangle your own heart it's so embarrassing when he tries to be sincere sincere chandler is the worst clenchingly awful thing that's ever happened in friends so this is the bit where it's funny so monica and chandler are are shagging no one knows about it except joey and joey is having to is having to cover up for them so three times in this episode things happen that joey then has to cover up for the Mm. first of which it's like right at the beginning, this incredible like princess in the pea moment from Phoebe, <laughs> yeah. where she's sitting on the sofa in Monica's apartment, and um, he goes, "What am I? What am I sitting on? I mean, how you would know? There's a pair of Y fronts like down the side of the sofa cushion. Those are the most incredibly sensitive posterior Phoebe must have. Yeah. And then and then pulls out this the most 1990s <laughs> pair of pants 
you've ever seen in your life. What did Pete, I mean, Joey makes reference to it, doesn't he? He does. He tighty whiteys. Tighty whiteys. What are you eight? Yeah. Yeah. Even in the nineties, I just refuse to believe anybody wore. They're like they're like granddad pants from the nineties. They're not just they sort are, of aren't they? dated. Look at them now. It's kind of what I imagine people wore during the war. <laughs> yeah, do you know what I mean? Like when the when the when the air raid sirens came on, and then bored the younger generation by going like, "Well, you know, back in the day, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have boxer shorts. We we had to wear these." But I suppose you know they are the pants of a man that wears a tank top, aren't they? Say, really, with a shirt underneath it. So very in keeping with Chandler's personality. Very, very, and somebody there must have been a production meeting when they went like, "Okay, well." We need to buy. We need to buy some props. What kind of pants does Chandler wear? And they're like, "Yep, those will probably do. <laughs> yeah. That probably, they that probably does it. Are excellent, aren't so, they?" And Joey just has this brilliant repeating line that uh, you know comes back so well at the end of the episode, where he just has to keep going. I'm Joey. I'm disgusting. Mm. I hide my underpants in people's houses. It's just such a nice way because sometimes the continuing plot in Friends, the one that's sort of you know keeping the continuity of the series going. Yeah. It, it can be a bit of a boring bit of the episode. Right. And it just feels a little bit shoehorned in. Yeah. This is an example of being genuinely as funny as the other two bits of the episode. So yeah. it works really well. And those are what this, this episode has two very memorable takeaway catchphrase lines, doesn't it? That, that I'm Joey, I'm disgusting is yeah. a line you remember and Absolutely. you quote, yeah. as is the my sandwich, which we'll come on to a little bit later on. We certainly will. Talking of which, I'm just opening my sandwich. Okay. So let's talk about the sandwich then before, Sorry, Pete. before it goes too warm. So, the one thing that struck me about the one with Ross's sandwich, and hopefully this has struck other people as well, is um, does it really make a sandwich nice to have a slice of gravy-soaked bread? <laughs> it sounds in very the wet, doesn't it? Yeah. Do you think it sounds revolting? Yeah. yeah it it sounds, sounds a bit revolting. So, shall I tell you what I did this morning, Pete? <laughs> Go ahead. I I got up this morning. I made a saucepan of gravy. No, you did it. Did you actually? Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, I did. And what I've done is brought in a sandwich. Uh, for you and Dave, uh, although you're in Leeds, it's turkey, stuffing, oh my days. Swiss cheese, Amazing. and in the middle, a slice of gravy-soaked bread. So we can test out the theory. Do you, want, should we, do you want to go in, Dave? I'm going to go in. Let's see what this actually this tastes like. the best thing anyone's ever done on this podcast. I dread to think what kind of state the gravy bit would be in if you posted it up to Leeds. Mm. It's actually not bad. It's quite good, you know. Yeah. Talk amongst yourselves while we just... Um... Now do you see why Ross was so upset? Is it that good? Yeah. I'm kind of starting to get it now. Mm. But yeah, the moist maker kind of works. I'm actually wishing... Because I, I was... I think I've gone a bit light on the gravy. It mm. pops a bit more in. Talk me through the um, soaking really process. How did, did you just sort of dip it into the saucepan? Like, what, what happened? Do you remember what, at school when you would put coloured inks on the surface of uh, a bowl of water and then you would dip uh, a piece of paper mm. sort of across the surface of the water to get like a lovely spirally pattern. Yeah. That's very much what I did with the saucepan of gravy. So got the got the slice of bread. I can picture it. Side A, little tickle, flipped it over. Side B, little tickle, and then the middle of the sandwich. I think I always imagined, watching this previously uh, growing up, that the the moist maker, the, the gravy-soaked bread in the middle, would somehow penetrate into a sort of moisty mess. Do you know what That's I mean? That's like, what I was worried about. Everything would come through. I was, I was worried that it would it would completely disintegrate and, the, and basically the sandwich would just be... Just like a sort of gravy-soaked blob. Right, exactly. Yeah. But no, what's happened, Pete, is uh, a very sturdy turkey barrier either side of the moist maker has just has, has kept it in, kept it wow. just well-maintained, hasn't there's it? There's a proper science to it, then. There, there's a, both a science and an art, Yes, I would like to say. <laughs> and you've yeah. achieved both, my friend. Um, so there you go. So this is, this is Ross's um, Thanksgiving sandwich with the moist maker. Now, something struck me uh, watching, re-watching this episode. Mm. There are, in fact, two. There are two sandwiches. 
Did you get this when you watched it back? No. So, first of all, when Ross comes in and uh, walks into Central Park and says, uh, there's a great line from Charlie where he says, oh, someone ate my sandwich. And Charlie goes, well, what are the police saying? <laughs> yeah. Which is great. But Ross is very sad because someone has eaten his Thanksgiving sandwich. Well, at that point, Monica says to him, I've got the ingredients to make you another Second. Thanksgiving sandwich. Right. So, in fact, the episode should, in the interest of strict accuracy, be titled, The One with Ross's Sandwiches. Plural, sure. But... Um, and also another piece of uh, another piece of trivia about this uh, episode title, which I noticed, is the only Friends episode. This is a good pub quiz question. If you've ever done a Friends quiz, the only Friends episode title that has the letter S four times in succession. Ross's the one with Ross's, Ross's sandwich. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's that's very niche observation, but that's what we're here for. Well, I thought that. Hang on, I thought very much thought that was the point. Welcome <laughs> yeah. to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's exactly you want broad, want. sweeping generalizations? It goes somewhere else. <laughs> I presume you spotted that in the title and then have been to check every other friend's title. I've been to check every other friend's title. That's yeah, impressive. you're okay because it would have to be a Ross's something. Yes, and there are a few other episodes that are the ones with Ross's. Um, but none of them begin Ross's with wedding. A, with yeah, a exactly. Yeah, so we're okay. I feel like I have much more sympathy for Ross's sandwich frustration, having worked in an office where food regularly gets taken. Because I don't think when I first watched it, I appreciated quite how frustrating that can be. But now, having been in an office environment and experienced food being taken and food going missing, um, I get it. I I totally get it, Ross. Well, and you're, then you're saying that without even having eaten this sandwich that we've got exactly, here with the moist Exactly, yeah. Right. The stakes are even higher for him. You're just having your Sainsbury's meal deal next, aren't you? <laughs> exactly. Like, but the problem... Well, this is a very boring fact now. A downside to being um, at work at the end of the day, the hours I do, means that on a Friday, the fridge gets cleared at the end of a Friday. And if I've got plans wow. on a Friday night after I've finished, then sometimes I put my food in the fridge. And I have previously encountered that when I go to get my food, the fridge has already been cleared for the end of the week and I haven't finished work and all my food's gone. And perfectly valid food has been thrown in the bin, much like Ross's sandwich ends up in the bin as well. Oh my God, I'm Ross. If only <laughs> if only you could put a note on the top of the sandwich, a joke or limerick of some kind, <laughs> or the note that you really need to put on the sandwich, Pete, to stop it getting taken is, of course, the note that Phoebe writes. Which we do not I know. I really want to know never... what that says, because they are so yeah. appalled by it. That's quite a bold move, isn't it, by the, by the friends? They're literally going, write your own joke here. Yeah. You just, you just do your own joke. Phoebe, yeah. Phoebe writes a note because Ross is, uh, Ross is rather lame, kind of not-not joke. Uh, as, uh, as I think Joey says, you know, you're lucky you didn't go home wearing your lunch. <laughs> um, Phoebe then writes a note for him to put on his replacement Thanksgiving sandwich. But yeah, as you say, we're never actually shown what's on it. I mean, I assume it's pretty, it's pretty expletive-ridden. <laughs> yes, and, and graphic. As we, as we learn, comes from someone that once stabbed a police officer. Yeah, that is, that is such a dark thing to reference, isn't it? That's a really dark thing to reference, yeah. And actually, you, you forget that, you know, Friends is not afraid of a little bit of shock value sometimes. No. Because actually, you know, that that's the sort of thing, if you told that joke as a stand-up on stage now, I reckon you would get a few oohs. Yeah. You oh. know, of like, whoa, you, oh, no, you didn't. Mm. But Phoebe kind of somehow gets away with it. Not only is that note enough to shock her five friends, you know, it, quite obviously... It's enough to then turn Ross's seemingly entire force of co-workers into thinking he is seriously deranged. Indeed. Like uh, Mental Geller. Yeah, Mental Geller. <laughs> as they nickname him. Yeah. Again, probably a nickname that wouldn't particularly catch on these days on I'm a TV not sure script. It would, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, he's having an open conversation about mental health, which is which we're all about. Sure. We're all about in 2019. Uh, I think the nickname Mental Geller probably wouldn't fly these days. No. But uh, he kind of revels in this. And I always think Ross is the sort of person that would uh, assume 
that he would get on quite well in prison because people would sort of <laughs> they'd nickname him the prof, yeah. you know, and uh, they'd be like, you know, no one would start him because we'd be like, oh, no, the prof's okay. And I think he really kind of revels in this sort of quite badass reputation because I mm. remember in the other episode, you know, he likes to talk about doing his karate. Mm. Um, Ross kind of likes being a badass. Well, he thinks it's getting him respect, doesn't he? Yeah. Whereas, in fact, everyone is simply a little uh, a little worried about him and is obviously going to his boss, Donald, behind his back, saying, yeah, we're a bit worried about mental geller. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, at this point, he hasn't actually done anything, has he? All he's done is the note. He's yeah. not acted any differently. No. And this th- this note is enough to turn It clearly escalates him- really quickly. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, he comes back and he's like, oh, people are people are offering to write reports for me. <laughs> like, I'm not having to miss. And then Donald later on says he's missing deadlines. So he's literally within, like, presumably about 24 hours has started like swanning around the museum of prehistoric <laughs> yeah. history <laughs> like vinnie jones it's like the prison isn't it yeah. just collecting the cartons of cigarettes absolutely like, but he's um he's i just i presume again without going into the sort of administrative side of the museum too much a number of like formal complaints would have had to have been filed i imagine there must be before I mean, must, his boss comes quite and quite a strict disciplinary procedure s- yeah. sort of genuinely recommends him to a psychiatrist <laughs> yes. you know like th- this has gone up all within the space of what 12 hours yeah i think it must be in the space i mean good knows what was on that note mm. it was probably I mean, it was obviously dynamite wasn't it yeah i love the scene with his boss donald when he comes in to chat to ross because it takes place in what is apparently the kitchen of the uh, yeah. museum of prehistoric history and i just love the little touches like there are dinosaur fridge magnets <laughs> like, behind ross yeah. and you just think it's that people have loved building these sets and you know all what the, a museum hit the kitchen look like absolutely yeah. all the best kind of cartoons and sitcoms and, and films or whatever it's all about the attention to mm. detail and the fact that that's clearly just a little set that someone's quickly dressed for like a two-minute scene yeah. they've thought oh let's have a we'll have a like a picture of a stegosaurus and some dinosaur right. fridge <laughs> magnets and that and but i almost feel like um you almost feel like you're seeing a celebrity because like, that's the fridge. That's the fridge where Ross's sandwich was stolen from. <laughs> well, this is where the whole drama unfolded. I also quite admire um, Ross's boss for coming clean because in that situation when someone is clearly so angry, to be perfectly honest, I think I'd pretend that I knew nothing about the sandwich even if I knew I'd eaten it. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's obviously a brave guy. He's a, great, he's a great character. You've never seen anybody that patently looks more like Donald <laughs> yeah. than, than that guy. And he comes in and sits down, sort of very bookish. I mean, I'm still not convinced, you know, of, of what Ross actually does all day at the museum. I think we saw him once in one episode just, like, rearranging a display. Yes, we've discussed this a couple of times before, where I'm sure he's not on the ground in the museum by virtue of his seniority, but no. that's all we've ever seen him do. Yeah, because jo- Joe is a tour guide there in one episode, that's isn't it. he? Yeah, yeah. And that's um, the one, and Ross is just fiddling the, with it. And some... Ross is just in a display with, like, Neanderthal yeah. man, just like, going, hi. Yeah. Um, I'm not really sure, I mean, what Donald is managing him doing on a, on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> no. The... the the amount of new fossils coming in can't i mean it can't be un, you know the, the in tray can't be that crowded well, yeah, that, exactly what i mean they can't he cannot be setting up new displays every day <laughs> no. with all the, the new thousands and thousands of years old things that are coming in um but yeah we, we i guess we don't until he starts lecturing and teaching in the later seasons we never really see him do any actual work. It's just something to do with the museum, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. That's, but that, you know, <laughs> they're good at doing without our friends. Chandler's like something, he's a, he's a transponster. transponster you know, he's, yeah. he's something to do with numbers. And Ross is something. I mean, Monica's a chef. She's got a proper job. We can get our hands on that. and masseuse. We can get our hands on yeah. that. So Ross is then put in touch with a uh, with a psychiatrist. And, and again, this happens 
astonishingly quickly. <laughs> I mean, no, apparently no talking therapy of any kind is available. No. Nope. It's just straight to medication. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. a, I mean, referral. We're just Close like, him up. Yeah. He's sacked, basically. <laughs> yeah, they're like the busiest psychiatrist ever. Yeah. It's all like, you know, some absolute charlatan. It's just like, yes, you're, what's that? You're feeling, you're feeling anger rather than going like, well, have you got any uh, underlying reasons for this? Yes. And I'm just, you know, my second marriage has just broken up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just like, no, just, just take the pill. Take this pill now. And which will basically knock you out. It's incredibly effective as well because Ross has never been more laid back than when he's had his tranquilizer and his candy floss, is he? This is a great scene because I I'm not an actor, but I think having watched actors try and act drunk or drugged, mm. it's I think it's one of the most difficult things yeah. to do. Um, almost as difficult as as anyone in a relationship will tell you trying to act sober <laughs> yeah. when you're actually pissed. <laughs> but <laughs> trying to act like off your face is. It's usually pretty cringy, and it's just overplayed, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because... and you just sort of like slur the word letter S a bit, right? And you're like, "Oh, sh- I can see two of you." Sh- yeah, uh, you know, which Sean is... Connery. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you just basically turn into Sean Connery. But when Ross comes into Central Park, I think it's a great bit of comedy acting when he just sits down with his with his candy floss, which is a lovely touch. I don't know. I'd, I'd love to think that that was something that just. That someone came up with on set. Hey. I'd love to think it was David Schwimmer. Yeah. Just went, I should have some candy floss. Yeah. It's just an absolute genius touch. Because you sort of fill in the blanks on your own of him walking home from the psychiatrist with the tranquilizer just starting to kick in. Suddenly everything looks fantastic. He's walking past Central Park and thinks, uh, well, there's a fun fair. Yeah. And there's a fun yeah. fair. And he's like, yeah, probably had a go on a couple of things. Yeah. The other brilliant bit is he's, um, he says hello to Chandler and sits down. And even though Monica is sat right next to Chandler, it takes him about five seconds to react to Monica being there, doesn't it? He says, he says Monica as if he's shocked that she's there about five seconds after he sat down. It's great. As if she's popped up like a sort of naughty <laughs> goblin. He's like, Monica! Yeah. <laughs> it is amazing. And the bit where he's he's just pe- peeled a little bit of his candy floss off and he goes, he gave me a peel on account of my rage and I thought it was a good idea. And then he just goes, so I took okay. it. <laughs> and stuffs a little and takes like a sort of velociraptor-ish bite out of his candy floss. Yeah. It's so good. But you are right going back to the psychiatrist incident. We can only assume all that's happened is he's gone into a room and a psychiatrist has basically said, I hear you shouted the word sandwich at your boss. <laughs> Here are some pills <laughs> I, I to tranquilize yeah, you. You shouted my sandwich at your boss at a volume... Uh, large enough to startle the pigeons in um, <laughs> nearby Washington Square Park. There's a couple of strange exterior shots in this, and, and it's not something we very often get in Friends. No. is that, and, and the pigeon one is the one you remember from well, that. Also, the but... park. The park is dead when the pigeons fly off. There is no yeah. other... There's no human <laughs> being in the park. It's purely pigeons, which, to be fair, I can yeah. imagine happens in New York. There are a lot of pigeons. Um, but there's the, the strangest exterior scene is right at the start. Did you notice this? Just before... And um, we'll come on to the Phoebe story in a minute. But just before Phoebe walks into Central Perk, right at the start, there's an establishing shot after the credits, which you would assume would just be the outside of Central Perk. Yeah. In fact, it's the outside of a shop called Jimmy's, a coffee shop called Jimmy's. How and I've weird. never noticed it before. Oh, the, the, yeah, and there's like a f- weird sort of fur salesman shop, isn't right. there, as well? Something furs. Yeah, you're right. And it, yeah, it's not the apartment block. It's not Central Perk. It's just it's just sort of a thing this, in New York. Yeah, it's just like this This takes place yeah. in Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. In a street. Thanks very much. Yeah, at the end. And it's very odd. Um, so, yeah, so um, there's another, talking of David Schwimmer's physical acting, just to go back to that, there's a really good... Good, um, moment where he comes in after Phoebe's notes obviously worked and he tries to make Joey give him a cup of coffee. Yes. And there's a, just a lovely bit of slapstick where... Hey, Tribbiani, give me that coffee Give me now. that coffee. And Matt LeBlanc just, just one hand shoves him on his shoulder and Schwimmer goes, 
head over heels over the back of the sofa. It's so well done. It's like a Miranda level of um, over the top fall, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's, it's a proper. I mean, yeah, literally satisfying. Isn't he, it? he could have gone, you know, just yeah onto the arm of the sofa, yeah. onto the sofa, but no, he's he's gone all the way over. Yeah, his, his body's yeah. almost rigid. Yeah, and it's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. flipped an entire one eighty over the back of the sofa. It's so good. I'm Jack Beaumont and this is Crime Club, the podcast where I talk to people who have done terrible, terrible things, either immoral or illegal, ideally both. Fucking hell, mate. That's Crime Club. Oi. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. We've done Ross's sandwich, yeah. and shall we talk about? Um, we've got two choices. We've got Joey. Let's talk about Joey. Let's talk about Joey. Yeah. So I've, I've entitled this in my uh, in my notes. I've, I always split the plot lines up into three, and this one's entitled Joey the Perv, <laughs> because that's effectively what they're trying to make him out to be. Is I'm Joey. I'm disgusting for, for this entire episode. So Monica and Chandler. Let's. So so we've we've done the opening scene with the underpants, and uh, Joey sort of started to take the heat, and he's got annoyed, and there's that nice scene where it transpires he's had to shave his legs, uh, and then. And the next time, so this, this, yeah, like you said, there's three incidents. So there's the underpants, and then when Joey's coming back from this date, which in itself is mad. It's it's mad that he has gone out. I mean, presumably Chandler knows that, right. that Joey's like due back yeah. at some point. <laughs> he, he knows that Joey not, lives there. Yeah, exactly. He's not, he's not gone off for the weekend. Yeah. They've not double locked the door no. or anything like that. And him and Monica are planning to videotape themselves <laughs> having sex on a blanket yeah. in the candlelit in the middle of in the, the living room. In the middle of a living room into which the front door of the apartment opens. I mean, I know they're clearly enjoying the frisson of danger <laughs> that their secret affair is giving them. But, I mean, that's another level, isn't it? Yeah. That's practically dogging. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that is proper <laughs> exhibitionism, isn't it? I know, I thought that. And it doesn't it doesn't strike me as a very Monica and Chandler thing to do as it's, well. Well, it's not. No, it's so... I mean, and actually, it's so out of character for both of them. Mm. And the, they, sort of, they sort of turn it round by going, oh, we're only being like this because it's secret and it's making it exciting and we're both really bad at relationships, which is sort of the way they turn it round onto 
onto Joey and get him to help them. But but it's such a crunching gear change for both of them. And how out of character is it for Monica to give Chandler a, a Polaroid of herself? Well, let's naked. talk about the naked Polaroid, shall <laughs> I mean, we? I mean, what? Clearly a time before Snapchat and WhatsApp. <laughs> yes, indeed. But it's the like, idea. I mean, that's, that's sexting <laughs> late 90s style, isn't it? With a lot of preparation. With a lot of preparation. So I can only presume she needed a tripod, a Polaroid with a timer. But, I mean, if you remember what, what vintage Polaroid vintage. That makes me feel about about a thousand years old. Jeez. But if you remember what the what the original sort of Polaroid cameras would have been like, um to to take a selfie well, with yes. one would have been incredibly difficult because you had to um you had to depress the button a little bit to get the flash to charge up. <laughs> yeah. So it was like and it would go like yeah. And then fully depress the, the button yeah. to get oh, the it's click. It's just not worth the effort. And they're big, bulky things as well. It's they're, a two-hand job. It's, yeah, not, a, it's not really a one-hand job. So, I mean, just, just imagining what the naked <laughs> selfie of Monica would have been like. She's holding up a bulky Polaroid camera with both hands. <laughs> her flash is going to have been like right in her face. So she's going to be like incredibly washed out and overexposed. Yeah. I can't imagine it was the sexiest picture that's ever been taken. Surely someone is small as Monica wouldn't be able to hold the Polaroid camera too far away from herself. Therefore, it's it's probably because, at best just got like one boob in. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, because you said, Dave, well, she'd need a tripod and a timer. Yeah, I, I, that didn't exist, though. <laughs> there wasn't any such thing as a Polaroid camera with a timer on it. No, that's true. Self-timers are a naughty thing, well, surely. That was why I mentioned the tripod, because I just figured the selfie would be now and impossible. Unless, an well, unless it was Polaroid. on a tripod and she pushed the button like with a long stick, <laughs> like a broomstick. <laughs> Or, or the pole they used to to poke ugly naked guy that time when they thought <laughs> yeah. he was dead. From across the room. <laughs> yeah. And that would be a nice bit of continuity. Yeah. Maybe she used part of the ugly naked guy stick Giant poking to, device. to take the naked Polaroid selfie. I think we can ultimately conclude that's exactly what happened. I think that's exactly <laughs> we'll, what We'll lock happened. that into the yeah. definitely yeah. happened file. Definitely. But, you know, Chandra is so is so kind of not, not bothered about it that he just leaves it in a magazine on the sideboard as I well. I mean, astonishing. What's going on with that? There's a lot of strange, th- like, small details about this entire plot and and actually, just before, did did you, again, watching these episodes back in a different way when you don't just sort of skip past it in your brain. But when Joey arrived at the door just before he went into the date, he just engaged in this strangest of conversations <laughs> with his date about, she just, she said, uh, oh, I wondered if you were going to ask me out. And he said, are you, are you still, still wondering? wondering? <laughs> and she She's goes, like, no, we just went out. And he goes, oh, you're smart. I like that. And just walks off. It's and so weird. In no world would any self-respecting girl have sort of gone, this is the man I want to sleep with. Oh, I'm coming straight in. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if she if she didn't bulk at that, I'm surprised she was bothered by the cameras and the <laughs> candles, to be honest. She'd just be like, it's also yes. the timing of that whole conversation, because she's already got to the point of coming up several flights of stairs to the outside of his apartment for no apparent reason. And then they have the conversation about whether she's going inside. Like, surely that's already happened before you literally go upstairs outside. That's a really good building. point. She would, surely the point when he buzzes himself in. <laughs> yeah. And goes check, to the top floor. Checks the mail yeah. and they walk up five flights of stairs. Yeah. Joey finds the naked picture in the magazine, like you say, eating. There's a, there's a lot of funniness in that scene. There's a great bit. I mean, just the fact that, that you know, Joey comes home with a with a bucket. Big of what, is, what is very obviously KFC. And and although it's it's a bit throwaway, the size of the drink he puts down with that as well. Huge. Huge. And the size of the bucket as well. Is. Oh, the, I mean, the bucket's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, and then this all concludes, doesn't it, with the big scene where they're trying to cover it up and Joey's a sex addict. And It's such a nice turnaround, though, because so many of the gags that, that are given to Joey in Friends are just 
I'm so freaking thick. Stupid, yeah. And, yeah, I'm just stupid. And the fact that he gets to turn it around and put Monica into this brilliant kind of humiliating situation. Which, yeah. I slept with Monica. Yeah. It's just, it's just genius. It's a lovely little bit of Joey triumph. Right, Which exactly. I really relish. And you can see the cogs ticking in his brain. And yeah. the fact that he's managed to come up with this thing. Which is actually incredibly yeah. clever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not a Joey-esque plan at all. No, he's hit on something, be it by accident or deliberately, that is absolutely perfect for this situation yeah but then you can now the, the joy of it then is watching him try and adapt his now his story yeah every time a new bit of information is represented do you know what i mean but then, and monica is sort of backed into a corner where she's got to help him out yes. and, then, and has to sort of go like i guess i set up the video camera to try and entice Joey. And then Joey has this great line. Just like, sadly, I could not be enticed. <laughs> yeah, that is so good. I think perhaps I'm not as good a friend as Joey as well, because I would absolutely have sacked this off to protect my own reputation long before he does. He's very patient oh, 100, 100%. And also the, 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 um, the inducement he's been given by Chandler and Monica to, to cover for them is so tissue thin. Right. Just like we feel this is going really well for us and maybe that's because it's a secret. We're bad at relationships. Help us. Yeah. You just be like, grow up. <laughs> grow the heck up. Also, it's not like we're going to try and go on national television and announce this. No. There's, there's, there's three other people in our friendship group, all of whom will keep it a secret what, if you ask them to. Well, one of whom is heavily tranquilized. <laughs> yeah. so, like, one definitely won't remember There it. has literally never been a better time to come clean <laughs> yeah. than right now while Ross is eating candy floss. But you're right, Pete. There's something I noticed as well is because even when they'd stumble up on this sort of cover that makes it all make sense... Monica and Chandler are still basically trying to go, are you sure, yeah. Joe? Are you sure are you're, you sure? Not you're sure not just an absolute mad pervert? <laughs> yes. like, are you sure we can't just pin this all on you? They're really trying to claw it back. They're, they're not acting very friendly. No one really has each other's back at this point, no. do they? No, Absolutely definitely not. not. Right, Phoebe. Phoebe. Love a good Phoebe plot. Yeah. It's, nice when, it's nice when Phoebe gets a little, a little bit of screen time. And I think it's, it's relatively relatively rare that we've had Phoebe and Rachel paired together yeah. like this but mm. it's always good when we get those two together because yeah. they are they are at least Kudra and Jennifer Aniston two genuinely brilliant comic actors and mm. it's it's good to see them doing this bit together so um Phoebe has decided to take a literature class and uh I mean it looks like the most boring evening class ever <laughs> Which is, I mean it's, it's basically like a it's a slightly formalized book club yes. isn't it it's a book club without any of the fun bits of a book club right because the good the thing wine. about yeah exactly it's a book <laughs> yeah. club without the wine and they have to sit on those awful chairs that have like an attached table proper american high school proper chairs. american high school thing absolutely yeah. yeah and obviously Rachel hasn't read the book of course Rachel hasn't read the book because mm. she's because she's Rachel right. she's you know she's prom queen yeah um she was and she, we discovered that she uh, she she had not read Wuthering Heights because she was going to a pep rally. Yes. Now, so that's something I had to Google. I don't know about you guys. No idea. No. There's come a point now where the completely isolated American references, I I just have to gloss over because there's so many things. <laughs> so what is a pep rally? I imagine, let me try and guess. Okay, try is. and guess what a pep rally is because I have looked at it now. Is it some sort of, I imagine it involves cheerleaders and football players. Yes. And it's some sort of, um, can I tell you what I'm imagining? It's like the opening ceremony of the Olympics, but for a high school <laughs> football team. I, I, that is more or less exactly what a pep rally is. is it? it is basically, it, it's a rally, I think that normally takes place before a, before a football game or a, 
or a basketball game or whatever, uh, where you have your cheerleaders and you have the band marching up and down, right. and you just build enthusiasm or pep right. <laughs> for your for your school spirits. So American, <laughs> isn't it? So American. I mean, a pep rally. You couldn't call it an enthusiasm rally because that literally <laughs> yeah. that's too Orwellian, yeah. isn't it? That's well, the sort exactly. of thing that they do in North Korea, isn't it? <laughs> An obligatory enthusiasm rally will take place at 10.30 a.m. It's a very fine line, though, isn't it, between the two? It is a very fine line. Um, but Rachel, yes, she couldn't read Wuthering Heights because she went to the aforementioned pep rally mm. and was, of course, being Rachel Green, being all Rachel and Rachel world <laughs> on top of the pyramid. You acted that line better than Brad Pitt did, actually. <laughs> Thank you so much. Previously discussed one of Brad Pitt's worst acting performances in his career. It's Yes, it's weird. Yeah, it's, uh, suddenly being on Friends was like it was like acting kryptonite to him, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. He just very bizarre. Couldn't quite do it. It was like he wasn't an actor and yet he had a guest role. It was like his he was famous for something else. Right. See, a, yeah. see also Helen Baxendale. Yeah, uh, yeah actually. <laughs> you just see people that are good at doing things in every other scenario yeah yeah and it just doesn't quite work in that world for some reason um so uh getting back to getting back to phoebe and, and rachel at their at their literature class so basically rachel stitches phoebe up royally by stealing what is apparently phoebe's one insight <laughs> yes. into, she's into nothing Wuthering else Heights. to say once that point's been made <laughs> she has nothing else to say but what is amazing that like rachel steals this one the the wildness of the moors mirrors the wildness of heathcliff's character i mean it, it's not exactly you know <laughs> levy strauss yeah. level of structuralism <laughs> but then when the, t- the teacher then goes to phoebe and asks her for any insight into Wuthering Heights, she's got nothing left yeah. and, and does this amazing thing where she sort of answers questions with questions yeah and that's a really funny comedic scene but like you say it's she's come prepared with page one of the york notes for Wuthering Heights yeah and, and that's, and that's it isn't it really yeah, yeah, yeah but it's like she hasn't even read the book i mean there's some surely it put on the spot if you just read Wuthering Heights, you'd be able to say like one thing about it. But I guess she panics. <laughs> yeah. Maybe she panics. Uh, and then we get this uh, lovely turnaround where she feeds Rachel all this stuff about um, Jane Eyre, Jane Eyre. <laughs> involving robots. And, yes. And, and, and Rachel says it's ahead of its time. And and the actor playing the teacher, who no, delivers a, this line in a slightly strange way. And he goes, you could tell he's absolutely made up. To be having a line about feminism <laughs> yeah. in in the last century, can't you? Like, and, and he's like, "This is this is great." He delivers it with such relish. Like, if you're talking about feminism, I think you're right. <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay, you're really making the most out of that one. And it's a really interesting change, like a, a, an interesting sea change from his attitude in the last class, yes. which was very dismissive. And yes. you know, when Rachel sort of said the the love story thing, he was like, oh, basically going, "You're all you're all idiots." <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of a given. It's yeah. like, oh, geez, thanks. Yeah. I'm paying for this class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And, and that's kind of that plot, isn't it? That sort of—it's a nice, just nightly tidy. Again, they do like a, they do a classic Friends thing of of glossing over the rest of the class, yeah. Because they're like, it's not going to get funnier than that, yeah. We're cutting here, yeah. And then they get home, and uh, Phoebe's come back to Rachel's apartment and is taking a cut off, going like, "Oh, it's just so funny when you started comparing Jane Eyre to Robocop." <laughs> yes, it's funnier to say that. I think that it would have been to see Rachel attempt to compare Jane yeah. Eyre to Robocop. So right. again, like Phoebe's notes, we're kind of filling in the blanks ourselves, but probably in a funnier way than it could have been, yes, than it exactly. could ever have been written. There's a lovely unspoken bit of acting by Lisa Kudrow as well, when obviously the way that we see it, Phoebe is sat in front of Rachel and Rachel is making her point behind Phoebe's back. And Rachel says the line about, 
and also the robots. And Phoebe just does this smile where she knows that her little trick has worked. And it's really, really nice. She doesn't have to say anything, but you can see how satisfied she is that it's worked. She is the cat yeah. that got the cream at that stage, isn't it? And also, the, what I wanted, the one thing I wanted to point out was the fact that for the first class, the Wuthering Heights class... Phoebe's like dressed as a schoolgirl, doesn't <laughs> <laughs> she? She's put her hair in pigtails and she's wearing like a white shirt with a, like a uh, with like a cub scarf yeah. around her neck. It's kind it's of really sweet. It is kind of sweet because we then later realise that the whole reason she wanted to do this because she never got to go to high school yeah. and this is pro- you know a proper thing it's for a, her. It's a lovely little touch. I'm never sure whether I'm completely overanalyzing, but I like to think all these things are deliberate. I think they probably are, and it is a lovely, lovely little touch that. Should we do the quiz, yes. Pete? I've just seen my phone light up. Have you sent revised questions? <laughs> yes, I have. So here's is, it, is it because I've yeah. uh, perceptively mentioned some of the things that were in the quiz? Or, yeah. Yes, come on. We've um, now, can I say I was? That's what I was secretly hoping. Was it? Like <laughs> you, you, I, I sort of saw your your face throughout as you dropped a sort of extraneous details <laughs> that you didn't really need to say. Uh, there's still at least one. Uh, question uh, in this quiz that you definitely know the answer to oh goodness okay well oh no pressure then no and pressure. i've tried to pull back some uh, of our reserve questions okay. to drop in some of which are easier some of which are hard i reckon there's two which you might not get fair enough that, even based I'm, on this I'm, level i'm ready for the challenge might. we'll see we'll see okay question one let's start let's do a couple of start, easy easier starters why was rachel late for class um, because she left late. <laughs> and was actually a great line. A really funny Such gag. Such a good gag, yeah. 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 Uh, and what I use in my life, I'd probably on a monthly basis. Yes, it's indeed. Just, it's a really disarmingly charming way of excusing yourself for being late, isn't it's it? The, it's the modern day, I have a subsequent engagement. Yes. <laughs> turning exactly. somebody down, yeah. Uh, question two, um, I think you're going to get this one, Chris. What's Ross's boss called? He's called Donald. He is he called, is called Donald. Donald. You've yes. got yourself another point. The most Donald of all the Donalds. The most Donald. <laughs> That's the tagline for this episode. Question three. Uh, one of the tricky ones. Where is Phoebe taking her literature class? It's the new school. It is the new school. <laughs> okay, okay. You've, you're fine with this. I've watched Friends yes, before. Yes, yes. Uh, fine, three out of three. Question four. What previous class inspired Phoebe into taking her literature course? Her Lamar's class. Another great... I had to, to Google this. I didn't know what that was. So this is the... Or it's, the it's basically what we, we would call an antenatal class. Yes. Yeah. So as, she, as she says, with a less painful final exam. Yes. Another great Lisa Kudrow <laughs> really? line. There's, there's loads of just brilliant one-liner gags in this episode. It's 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 really good packed episode, isn't it? There's yes. not much wasted space. And question five for a full house. What is the name of the literature teacher? Oh, what's he called? Is he called Leon? He's not Something like that. It's a one-syllable word. Yes. And it's only referred to... It's right at the end when Monica says, I've got da-da-da to give us a test next week. Yes. What is his name? Um, it's something like... It's just something... Really simple, like Leon or Don or Dean or something like that. It's close. I'm what is afraid it? it's Carl. Carl! Yes, of course it's Carl. Oh, well, do you know what? I'm secretly thrilled that we managed, because I was genuinely <laughs> worried that we wouldn't be able to find enough questions to trip you up. And you but know what? I'm I, not trying to trip you up, Chris. But... I, no, but I thought on the way here, I bet that's one of the quiz questions, and I didn't have time to Did go you? back and check, because I, I couldn't think of what his name was. Yes, oh, that's, that's really uh, frustrating. I'm angry with myself. You've given and a very a good account of yourself, Chris. You've done very well. Well, yes. thank you. Uh, Chris Smith, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank I love you, it. Chris. It was so much fun. It's been an absolute joy. And uh, I've still got a sandwich and a half to eat. Well, um, if, it's too, if it's too much for you, um, put it in the bin. <laughs> <laughs>
traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute.